We're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you turn there with me now, we're going to be in chapter 12. This is a book that our growth group studied this fall, and we just really brushed the surface of all the truth and the power of this book. So we're going to be into it further today. So let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You may be seated as we pray. Father, we've just celebrated that the light has come into the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. So we thank you, Lord, for the true light, the light of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. May he be our first love. May he be the one we seek, the one we grow up into. And Father, may we not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We know it's your power to salvation. And may we stay near the word, for it's also living and powerful shapes our hearts, builds up the church, can draw a heart from darkness to light with the power of the gospel. So we thank you for this power and glory of the word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, this man was called by God. He was given a lot of authority. He wasn't a great speaker. He was uncomfortable in the limelight, yet he had a chance to see the glory of God, and he deeply loved the people of God, yet quite often they despised him. His authority was often challenged, but God continually vindicated him. He refused the good life. He embraced suffering and contempt. He trusted the unseen God, and he endured to the end. 
I'm talking about Moses. And Scripture goes on to tell us that Moses was the humblest man in all the earth. Why Moses? I think it's just a perfect person to put in front of us, a man we know from the Old Testament that is most like the Apostle Paul. To link them together, I think we see a binding thread from the Old Testament into the new, Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament. Paul, a great writer in the New Testament, linked by their heart and humility, the way they walked with God. So this binding thread of the link of humility, the most exquisite Christian virtue. So in 2 Corinthians here, we're in the mid of Paul giving a passionate defense of his apostolic authority and the authenticity of his ministry. As you will see, he feels out of his comfort zone in part of this, but it's necessary. So let's pick it up here in chapter 12. We'll look first at verses 1 to 6. Paul's ultimate boast is weakness. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it, If we look at verse 11, I've been a fool, you forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. So why this time of boasting with Paul? The future of the church was at stake. The apostolic doctrine was being challenged. A deceptive, seductive teaching was taking root. And its leaders were well-organized, well-healed, and well-versed in their own greatness. I don't know where you've traveled to in your life. Some really neat destination, things you've seen and heard, like the Everett family going to Florida. Sounds like a great trip. Things to see and talk about. Or Eva and Johanna on the way to Quebec City right now. Going to come back after a week's touring of of Canada. I'm sure seeing and taking in some great things. Regardless of where you've been, it won't hold a candle to Paul. Paul is going to tell us at the start of this chapter of a jaw-dropping destination. He says, I know a man who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. In verse 2. How he got there, only God knows. Wasn't Jeff driving or Josh driving. Paul just ended up in the third heaven. And he said he was caught up to paradise. What did Paul see? Who else was caught up to paradise? Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Paul heard things that could not be uttered. He was up there in the sight of the risen Lord and the redeemed soul's of men and women. Such a sight. He saw the glory of paradise. Aren't we glad that this is recorded? Paul was, was telling of this not so much to, to draw attention to himself or to affirm his apostolic authority. It was to combat the, this false teaching. It was to save this church. But he, but he said it, and, and for us, When Paul said it's better to depart and be with Christ, he knows what he's talking about. When he says to live is Christ and to die is gain, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
what a blessed encouragement for us to, to have this apostle speaking to us about heaven, about eternal life. This man that was caught up to the third heaven. We know it was him, but he's a little later on, he says, though if I, sh I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But by God's grace, he gave Paul this phenomenal blessing to sustain him through unfathomable suffering. Don't you already love Paul's heart? He said, I know a man. He talked about third heaven glory in third person humility. So the real revelation is that this experience was not used by Paul to set himself apart from these super apostles, he called them, these teachers who had entered Corinth. It was his weakness he boasted about. And this creates a real separation and division between the super apostles and Paul. These men coming in, as they say, well-versed, well-healed. Paul unmasks them when he keeps pointing to his walk with God in humility and the amount of suffering that he endured. The super apostles would even say, look how far we've come, Corinthians, to speak to you. Our knees are getting sore. Or let me open my briefcase and you can read some letters from a who's who of the cultural elite confirming how great we are. Nothing compared to Paul's boasts throughout this whole book of his suffering, sharing in Christ's sufferings and the afflictions that he endured even in light of, of his weakness. So even with this impressive entrance, these super apostles seemed intent on undoing Paul. And they were intent on tearing him down. So Paul, in this defense, for the sake of the, for the, sake of the church, was talking about his boasting here in these first early verses. And about this, this experience and this revelation, he said, I will refrain from talking about it, but I'm, on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Lest you hear or think more of me than you see in me and hear from me. I don't know if any of us have ever thought of starting our LinkedIn page with listing off all our weaknesses and all our dependencies or boasting about around the water cooler about all the persecutions we're enduring. But this is what Paul chooses to highlight. This is the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God, opening up his heart that we might see in this unique book all the depth and the humility and the character in Paul's heart. So what do you see in me? What was Paul allowing them to see? Extreme humility and extreme love. He talked one time about, about making a painful visit to this church. Like, why would he find it a painful visit? He was so concerned about them and that they were straying away from the, from the true gospel that he made a visit and he said it was painful because it, it just wasn't, it didn't meet my objectives. So after that, he wrote a severe letter to this church. And it was delivered by Titus that, that Paul was so overwhelmed and overcome and that he, he, he put it in print and he sent it out deeply praying that this church would repent. So what do we see in Paul, an apostle who was, was pained over the state of the church? And in this severe letter, he said, I wrote it out of much affliction, anguish of heart, and many tears. 
And as we read verses like that in 2 Corinthians, we have to think, would these super apostles and these false apostles that Paul talks about have that same heart? Could you see them caring about that church so much that that coming in in a visit to, to draw their hearts back and when it wasn't, there was no repentance, he was pained over it. So what do you see in me? Something very unique. It's the apostle of God. So overwhelmed emotionally, at one point in the book, Paul says God has comforted the downcast. And he has endurance through intense suffering. So what do you see in Paul? An endurance. It actually, in chapter 6 of this book, Paul says there's afflictions, hardships, calamities, riots, beatings, imprisonments, labor, sleepless nights, and hunger. And, and through all that, there was an endurance through the power of God. In chapter 12, later on, if, if you uh, turn the page... It says in uh, verse 14, And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I was reminded of that this Christmas, by the way. (laughs) And in verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Paul was appealing... What do you see in me? A man willing to be poured out. To spend and be spent. Your your children to me that I will, like a father, give myself for you. So nothing to distract them, but just a heart poured out for them. So again, are those super apostles, do you think, going to have that similar heart? Filled with the love of God? Church, we need to be discriminate upon the leaders that we listen to, and how they're preaching, what their objectives are, what the motives are. Do they have a heart that reflects a leader called by God, according to the will of God? And what do you hear from me? So what you see and hear from me, my frailty. He talked about in Damascus, you know, Paul on the way to Damascus with boldness and ready to to take Christians back to Jerusalem. He saw the light on the road to Damascus, and then he went in and he started preaching. And immediately there was opposition, and there was beatings awaited him. And it said, bruised from the beatings, he crawled through a hole and was let down in a fishing basket, and he ran for his life. So what do you hear from me? A story about his frailty. That's right at the end of chapter 11. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window. I don't know. I don't think any of those super apostles will be telling a story like that. And then he, he talked earlier in the book, in, in chapter 4, that words that were undeterred by affliction, what do you hear in Psalm 116, he quoted, he said, I believed and I speak even when I'm great, greatly afflicted. So even in, in the great affliction, Paul was speaking of faith and drawing them to the gospel. So what do you hear from me? Gospel truth. He said that grace might extend to more and more of the Corinthians and causing thanksgiving to abound. Again in chapter 4, what do you hear from me? Open statement of the truth. New covenant truth. Truth written not with ink but with the spirit of God. Not on stone but on tablets of human hearts. 
And then he, what you hear also an exhortation. He said at the end of this book, aim for restoration, live in peace, agree with one another. And also you would hear of the promises of God. He said all those promises find their yes in Christ. Moses said to God, they will, not, they will say that you are not able to bring this people into the land. Moses was concerned about God's glory and God's name. Paul said, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, our Lord, as Lord, and ourselves, your servants. So Paul's saying, don't think too much of me, think much of Christ. What do you see and hear in me? Christ. So the warfare is continuing, the battle for the heart, in the battle for the hearts of the Corinthians. So God gives two provisions, as we see in verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me. So provision from God, first provision, is a thorn. A thorn to prevent pride. A thorn in the flesh. Delivered by an angelos of Satan. An angel of Satan. To buffet him. Has Paul talked about satanic activity in this church? Let's look at chapter 11, verse 3. Turn the page back to chapter 11. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his, coming, by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Farther on in verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen. He's talking about these newcomers that had entered Corinth, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of light and of righteousness. So we do see Paul referring to the satanic, demonic doctrine with its subtle deception he says, proclaiming another Jesus, a different gospel, and a different spirit. So we see all through scripture that Satan opposes the man of God who preaches the word of God. So this opposition was mounting in Corinth. And this thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan to buffet Paul. When we weave man into the tapestry of the gospel, it unravels everything. These super apostles bring a little bit more. You can have the good life now. The wealth, the health, and the prosperity that, that was luring the Corinthians. So it all unravels, doesn't it, when self enters the gospel. A little bit of self turns into a whole lot of self. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Another Jesus is the one that we might not need quite as much with a graceless, crossless gospel. And what gets stirred up? Pride. And all sorts of related sins. In the, in the book of Corinthians, we have the first six chapters. Paul is actually speaking to a group of the Corinthian church, actually in the majority, who did repent at that severe letter delivered by Titus. And then we have a little bridge in the middle of an example of what a church should be doing when they're walking with the Lord in, a, in an act of giving that Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to be part of. 
But in this last four chapters, 10 to 13, we have Paul addressing this unrepentant minority in the church. And all the, the things that, they, that was going on in their lives as they moved away from Christ. And we see that at the end of this chapter, in chapter 12, verse 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. And later on, he talks about impurity and sexual immorality. When man becomes central in a message, or man is elevated, what comes with man? Sin. And what comes the first major sin? Pride. And these other sins that flow out of man's proud heart. So what was a provision for the Apostle Paul from God? A thorn, lest he become conceited. It produced in him profound humility. He didn't rebuke or bind, try to bind Satan. We're reading here. He went to the Lord. He trusted the goodness and the sovereignty of God. And don't we love it to see Paul here? Lots of us go through times of weakness. And he pleaded with God. He said in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Some commentators would point to, to Christ in Gethsemane, three times pleading that this cup would be taken away from me. But nevertheless, he said, Lord, what your will, not my will, let your will be done. And we know what Isaiah wrote, it said it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So Jesus pleading this cup, cup be removed, but the Lord said, no, my will be, will be done, that, that Christ his son would be crushed. So Paul's pleading to remove the thorn, and his answer was something similar. This apostle called by the will of God, the answer was, was just grace. Grace that carried Paul through all of the sufferings he endured. Earlier in the book, he said, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. So God's grace that kept Paul on his feet. Is there pride in the church today? Is there pride in our church? Do we see some of those fleshly sins that Paul points to? Is there a demonic doctrine promoting another Jesus in the church today? It's so easy to want to fit into the world and find a sense of security in a culturally shaped gospel where a self-constructed moral code keeps us from feel, feeling guilty. Stephen Ewell talked about issues that face the church where we might move away and deviate. He talks about a therapeutic gospel, one that is there to meet our needs. Bring your needs, and this gospel, God will meet those needs. It's, it's kind of a, a self-centered request from God or a moralistic code that's somewhat relative that we can always feel we're, we're measuring up because we're creating that code. And Paul scolded this church, and we need, need to hear this warning too. He said, these people came in, and do you know what? You put up with it readily enough. Look how easily this doctrine is taking root in the church. You bear it if someone makes slaves of you takes advantage of you or strikes you in the face, he said, I'm afraid for you. So as the church needed to hear from this humble apostle, so do we. We need the protection of the preaching and the teaching 
and the modeling of God's word. Preach the word, Timothy, and you'll save both yourself and the hearers. And this is why I believe core prayer groups is God's provision right now for Maple Avenue. To address our pride. Because we do sometimes see quarreling and discord at times in our church, and don't we want to bring that before the Lord this year? Say, Lord, see if there be a wicked way in me. We'll come together, men and women, groups of four, and be accountable to one another. Pray for one another. God's concerned about our heart. This thorn was given so Paul's heart would be right with God. Paul would write to the Colossians, put to death your earthly members, adultery, fornication, evil desire, passion, anger, wrath, malice, and put on tender mercies, humility, and kindness. Put on this humility we see in Paul, humility we see in Moses. Put to death the fleshly sin. And here's Paul, given the thorn, and we're seeing his humility throughout this whole book, and he said to the Corinthians, my heart is wide open. Again, I don't think these super apostles, these newcomers, these false apostles really would, would want them to really let the Corinthians see their heart. But Paul says, my heart is wide open. And his invitation to the church, as God would invite us to now, is open your hearts also. He said, I speak as to children, open wide your hearts also. So this thorn in the Greek literally means a stake. A stake that thrust through could impale an animal or impale a man. It could be this false teaching that Paul was so anxious over and had sleepless nights in despair. We're not sure what this thorn was. But whatever it was, I picture this stake subduing and impaling any remnant of pride that existed in Paul. May God put a stake through our pride. And may he grant us this next provision. After the thorn, the provision was the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace for the humble. And what a mystery is, is this dispensation of grace always in perfect measure. So Paul's humility was built on this understanding. That God's grace would be sufficient for him. It is no wonder that Paul is steeped in the ways of grace, having heard this from God. Speaking to the church in Corinth in chapter 15 of the first letter, he said, I'm the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more than they all, yet not I, but God's grace with me. So this man who had the thorn who, to keep his pride at bay, he knew grace. And would he call himself the least of the apostles? Unworthy to be called an apostle. In chapter 1 of this book, in 2 Corinthians, he says, What's the testimony, testimony of our conscience before you? Simplicity and godly sincerity. For we behaved among you in that way. And how do we do it? By the grace of God. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So like the apostle, we should never lose sight of who we truly are. We are weak, easily overcome, 
as we see with this pandemic, or when new trials come into our life, we need God's mercy daily. The church is human weakness and dependence on display. Isn't it awesome that we know the mercies of God and the grace is sufficient for the Giesbrechts today, the Stuarts today, for all of us? Weakness is a defining reality at Maple Avenue. Many of us walking through deep waters right now with broken families, job loss, cancer, intense grief that never really leaves. Family life can be in disarray, utterly beyond our strength. And if that's the culture of the church, if we are all in need of God's grace, hopefully no one will ever feel too weak to attend church. I'm too frail. I don't have it all together. I just don't think I, I, I'm, I'm going to be okay, okay at church today. I just won't feel welcomed or, or fitting in like I should. We're all weak by nature. We're all dependent. Who should be coming to church? The weak. Here's the apostle of the church boasting about his weakness. Because God's grace is sufficient for us. We're coming to church in desperate need of God's grace. And great song this morning, Amazing Grace. We've been set free. So where weakness abounds, grace abounds more. So we're unified, in, aren't we, in this common weakness. We're unified in our pleading for one another before the throne of grace. Receiving through the riches of his grace forgiveness, kindness, and acceptance. Paul says in chapter 13, Christ himself crucified in weakness. He endured everything we've endured. So can we not come to the throne of grace where the high priest can sympathize with every weakness that we're enduring? This is the beautiful invitation. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. That we through his poverty might become rich. And that's a verse in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. When we're thinking about giving, well, look how Christ gave and God gave through his son. He was made poor. Though he was rich, made poor, that we might become rich. We just sang it. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. So the model of the church, here we are coming, and what do we have to offer? Exactly what Paul has for the Corinthians, the truth. He said, we're poor, but we're making many rich. Do you know what? We're giving them the gospel. As having nothing yet possessing everything. This glorious inheritance, Christ is mine. Hallelujah, we have Christ. And there was another model of a church, a healthy church, that I would love Maple Avenue to be called this church, like this church, it's a Macedonian church. And listen to this, thinking about grace again. I want you to know, believe it or not, we should turn to it, the Macedonian church in chapter 8. I would love to, Paul to be able to say, I want you to know about this church in Georgetown. So verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, how in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. 
And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So I call that the Macedonian model. Out of our extreme poverty, out of our weakness and our need, we might have the abundance of joy, giving beyond our means, trusting God. Let grace be the foundation of our church, of our homes. If this leader of the church is full of grace and humility, dads, elders of the church, in weakness and humility, depending on God's grace, let that be the foundation of all of our lives. Lastly, we're going to look at verse 9. 9b, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. There's certain threads through 2 Corinthians. We just looked at one, the grace of God. There's another, the glory of God. But this is a rich one too, the power of God. Paul said earlier to the church, he said, I want you to know, brothers, of the affliction I endured in Asia, that we were utterly burdened beyond strength. That's beyond our power. He said, we felt we had the sentence of death upon us. But he said, that was to make us not rely, to rely on ourselves. We were beyond our strength, but on him who raises the dead. That was to make us to rely on the one who has power. The power of God, the power to raise the dead. Who are you relying on? There's lots we need delivered from, isn't it? So Paul said, in that case... He delivered us from this deadly peril. And he will deliver us again and again. On him we've set our hope. And then a little later on, that's in chapter 1. In chapter 4 he said, God in his power said, let light shine out of darkness. Creation power to bring sinners, rebellious sinners, into the kingdom of God. And then Paul goes on to say, therefore, here we are, jars of clay, but within us is this treasure, the surpassing power of God, not of us, but of God. So in this view of salvation, salvation is a work of the power of God. We're saved by the word of God alone, by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, and for his glory alone. And then I, I mentioned earlier about all the hardships Paul endured. In chapter 6, all of the hardships and he said, how do we endure? He said, by purity, kindness, patience, knowledge, genuine love, truthful speech, the Holy Spirit, and the power of God. How did Paul endure such affliction? We talk about the persecuted church going into deep seasons of calamity, affliction, and hardship. Paul says, we commend ourselves to you it, through our endurance, because of God's power and God's grace. And out of the humble heart, the purity and the kindness and the patience of God. So this power of God that we might have the spirit of Christ and the character of Christ in us, Paul said, all this endurance, that it seems nearly impossible. He said at one place, he said, 
five times beaten with 40 lashes minus one, three times beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, deserted, abandoned. How did he endure? The power of God facilitated Paul's endurance. In chapter 10, he said, taking on these false apostles and all this demonic doctrine, he said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. But they have divine power for, for casting down strongholds. The pride stronghold we are talking about, the power of God, we might see this stronghold torn down in us, in our church. The stronghold of all these arguments against the knowledge of God, bringing thoughts into captivity to God. So we see the power of God in deliverance, the power of God in salvation, the power of God in casting down all the opposition to Paul's apostolic authority and to the authenticity of his ministry. And Paul says something really unique in this book. He talks about how important it is to separate ourselves from this worldliness in the gospel. He said, what partnership have we with this false, deceitful doctrine? He said, what partnership has lawlessness with righteousness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What accord does Christ have with Belial? Paul is telling this church, come out and, and find your, your life again and be rooted in Christ. He was this worried about this doctrine. Do not be equally yoked with unbelievers. So these, these, these unbelievers that are actually servants of the enemy, whereas Paul, Timothy, and Silas were servants of God. So Paul's response, I'm going to boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. Paul lived to magnify Christ. What do you see in me? Christ. What do you hear from me? Christ. I determined to know nothing among you, Corinthians, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Speaking about Paul's recognition of the greatness of God's power, Humble Moses, the power of God to part the Red Sea. Humble Paul, not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's God's power. So these super apostles marked by pride and a corrupted glory, I say at the end of this book, there is no contest. Paul, hands down, his heart trumps all of the proud fallenness of these deceitful newcomers. He says, look what's before your eyes. It's a fit warning for us today. Let's have our eyes open, our hearts wide open to God, our eyes wide open, knowing that Satan opposes a church that's preaching the word of God. In the last chapter of this book, he says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine the foundation of your faith. Is it firmly in the God-given authority of the new covenant? has self-deceptively weaved its way into your belief system. Is it a different gospel? Is it another Jesus? What should be our boast? What should be the boast of the blood-bought church? It should be in the Lord. That's near the end of chapter 10. 
He who boasts, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. All the promises of God find their yes in him. And Maple Avenue, at the end of 2021, I love what Paul says. He says, we're going to utter our amen to God in Christ. Christ is our amen to God. All the promises find their yes in him. So a boast in the Lord and a boast in our weakness. Paul said, for the sake of Christ then, is that not humility that we live for the sake of Christ? I'm content with weaknesses, for when I'm weak, seeing himself rightly, then I am strong, knowing this power is made perfect in weakness. And do you know how beautifully he says it later on? He says, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. So sometimes you might say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Was Paul looking for his own strength? He said, no, through the humble heart, I'm glad when we are weak, Corinthians, and you're strong. So considering all the issues facing this young church, a church that Paul had to reprimand all throughout this epistle, I love the way he begins the letter. He says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. So a loving apostle, seeing this church as, as ones that have come together. Yes, there's a lot of rough edges. It's grace and peace be to you. And how does he end the letter? He said, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. So Paul never loses heart. And he would say to each one of us this morning, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in this book of 2 Corinthians, you reveal such a beautiful promise, my grace is sufficient. And you revealed the power of God. So Lord, as we trust in your grace, as we find strength to endure in your power, may your glory fill this church, even now as we worship you. In Christ's name, amen.